of what does Jerusalem have to do with Brexit? And Brexit, of course, has been uh, the subject matter in vogue for four to five years now, hasn't it? Where people have discussed whether we are to go or whether we are to stay, will we leave you, the EU or we stay in the EU? And uh, it's much conversation and topic, no doubt, has been debated and spoke about in your own homes too. We, of course, as, as Christadelphians, have always believed that there would come a point at which Britain would exit from the EU, and that for a biblical reason. And that's what we're going to have a look at briefly together this evening. So just a very brief history of Jerusalem. Um, it was originally a city occupied by the Canaanite nations. It was taken from them through King David and his general and nephew Joab. It was taken into captivity by Babylon, rebuilt by Nehemiah and Ezra, as the prophecy of Jeremiah said it would be, visited by Alexander the Great, administered under what was known as Hasmonean rule under the time of the Maccabee Jews and the Herods, and then sacked by Rome in AD 70. I want us to just turn to Luke chapter 21, if we can, a very well-known section of scriptures amongst us. But Luke chapter 21 and verse 24 is where our Lord Jesus Christ had something to say about this great city of Jerusalem. And in verse 24 of Luke 21, he says, And they shall fall by the edge of the sword, and shall be led away, captive into all nations, and Jerusalem shall be trodden down of the Gentiles, until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. So it was up to an epoch of time that the Gentiles would tread down the city of Jerusalem. So with that potted history of Jerusalem, there may be some of you unaware of what we might term more recent history. On the screen there, you'll see the epoch of time that relates to the prophecy that the Lord gives here in Luke 21. And you'll see that to the right of that arrow, there were indeed many Gentile nations, non-Jewish nations, which is what it means, who trod down the city of Jerusalem or had control over it. One of those nations was the British. The British had what was called Mandate Palestine, the civil administration control of Jerusalem and the land of Palestine in the last century. There are, of course, many historical links between Israel and Britain. Judeo-Christianity is the basis of much of English historic law as well as recent British laws. The Balfour Declaration was a statement that the British government viewed with favour the creation of a homeland for the Jews. Professor Kaim Wiseman, a Jew, saved this country in the First World War by helping to produce acetone from conquerors. Mandate Palestine, we've mentioned the control of that territory under the administration of the British. Benjamin Disraeli, a twice-serving British Prime Minister of Jewish origin, and the Conservative Friends of Israel. But it hasn't always been good. In medieval times, Edward I persecuted the Jews in England, and many of our famous writers derided them, as well as in recent days, the Labour Party undertaking its own internal review of anti-Semitic remarks. Britain's role to, that is future to AD 70 concerning Israel was actually spoken of in the prophets. All of those quotations there on the screen speak of the British power in connection with the restoration and protection of a Jewish state in its infancy in the latter days. We're going to focus this evening mainly on just two of them, which are Isaiah 17 and Isaiah 18, which Brother Ruben read for us. 
Before we get into looking in a little more detail at Isaiah 18, as well as some other scriptures that are relative to our topic for this evening, I'd like to ask the question, what was the global political scene like in 1848? Well, it was interesting to find that it wasn't actually that different to the global scene in 2020. It's certainly as far as that Europe dominated the scene. You see, Napoleon's work had come to an end and now there was much discussion and debate as to what was to be done with Europe. How is it going to be recarved up amongst the powers that existed at that time? It was the big zeitgeist of the day. How was Europe going to be settled now Napoleon had been defeated? And what wasn't going on, brothers and sisters, young people, in 1848, was anyone talking about the Jews? The main focus of the day was what was going to happen with Europe and certainly not Israel. But written just after 1848 and committed to paper, committed to print, are the words of a man who wrote what he did on the basis of biblical prophecy. He said that the Jews would be returning to their land, having had commerce with India and under the efficient protection of the British power. He asked later on, where do we look to find the answer to who is going to accomplish this? And he says it's the men who presently contrive the foreign policy of Britain. He says elsewhere, the finger of God has indicated a cause to be pursued by Britain. So this biblical writer writing at the time of this descent in Europe is writing about the fact that the Jews would return to their land. Now, in a booklet that he wrote prior to that lecture that he gave and the works that he wrote in Elpis Israel, in 1848, he wrote a booklet called The Destiny of the British Empire as Revealed in the Scriptures. And it was in, 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 intended to be an addition to his major work of Elpis Israel. And in that booklet, The Destiny of the British Empire, he says that the decree had gone forth calling upon Tarshish or Britain to protect the Jews. Upwards of a thousand years before the British were even a nation, the prophet addresses them as the power which at evening tide, which is our times, would interest themselves on the behalf of Israel. And you'll find that in verse 12 to 14 of Isaiah and chapter 17. That the nations would rush like mighty waters. There would be a time of nations running to and fro. In view of this, he says in the booklet, the time of the end, the nation shall rush like many waters, but God will rebuke them. And their end will be that like the chaff, they will be forced away by the wind, like a rolling thing before the whirlwind, as is expressed in verse 13 of Isaiah 17. Or as Daniel says, like the chaff of the summer threshing floor, they would be blown away. The nations would be taken off the scene by Almighty God. Brother Thomas, in his book, The Destiny of the British Empire, goes on to say, the invasion of their country at evening tide implies their previous return. In other words, they can't be invaded if they're not there. Speaking of the time of the end, he says in that time, this is in Isaiah 18 and verse 7, Shall the present be brought unto Yahweh of armies of a people scattered and peeled to the place of the name of Yahweh of armies, the Mount Zion, which is synonymous in scripture, as we know, with Jerusalem? By whom is this present going to be made? Who's going to accomplish this return of the Jews? Asks Brother Thomas in his booklet. 
Well, the answer is given to us in verse 1 and 2 of Isaiah 18. The land shadowing with wings, which is beyond the rivers of Ethiopia. He reasons that if you take Judea, where Isaiah wrote his prophecy, the word beyond points to the east. That is, running a line from Judea across the Euphrates and Tigris, the rivers of Kushistan passes into Hindustan, where the merchants of Tarshish and its young lions rule the land. The British power, he says, is still indicated by the insular position of the seat of government. Notice as Brother Reuben read Isaiah 18, he read that they were to go to swift messengers to a nation scattered and peeled, but they were to go by the sea. And so what Brother Thomas reasons is that if you're sent by sea, you must be on an island. So he says that if we look north of Judah, we'll find Britain. And if we look east, we'll find Hindustan as the land shadowing Israel with its wings. And we'll, we'll come to what Hindustan is, if you're not already aware. To Britain, he says, with confidence, the prophet calls as the protector of the Jewish nation in the evening tide trouble. Britain, in some way, shape or form, is predicted as having a work to do in the days in which we live to establish the Jews back in their land. So as predicted by the prophet Isaiah and commented on by Brother Thomas in at least two of his works, Britain and its colony of India were going to play a pivotal role in restoring the Jews at the time of the end. So we ask, did it happen? This prophecy from two and a half thousand years ago, not from last week, from two and a half thousand years ago, did it happen? Well, this is the Wikipedia entry for the British Empire, and you'll see that this uh, circle here indicates what was called the zenith of the empire, and it was at its most powerful and most influential in its history. And it had protectorates, it had overseas possessions, trading posts. It was known as the largest empire in history, so much so that, as you'll see on the bottom, the oft-used expression was that the sun never sat on the British Empire. So vast was it across the global perspective. And what was the motive for the British Empire, friends and brothers and sisters? Was it because they thought, well, we'd better get on and fulfil what God wants us to from Isaiah 18? No, it wasn't. Britain's motive was because it was one of the great imperial powers. Its commercial and financial strength. Much of that has been talked about in recent days by Boris Johnson, hasn't it? We have to maintain our financial independence. Our services industry provides so much income to this country. The pursuit of its own ambitions. The territories that were considerable value to Britain. The trade that we performed with India. All these things were the reason that Britain decided to help and assist the Jews by default to return to their land. You see, in other words, again, like Brother Reuben mentioned in his prayer, that we might see God's hand at work, what we see in Britain and India's influence in the return and protectorate of the Jews to their land is the fact that God was using them, unbeknown to themselves, to perform his will as a gardener, uses the tools in his shed to bring glory to himself in his garden. So the great creator uses the nations to perform his will and his purpose. 
And that was it. On the screen there is the British Empire. Everything in pink you see there was part of the British Empire from the Northern Hemisphere to the Southern Hemisphere, from the far west of, Ca of Canada, all the way across to Ellis Island um, and the Western Samoas. No claim as far as I know by Brother Keith or Brother David, but there it is in, uh, anyway, um, Ellis Island out there on the Far East. There was the, the British Empire, a vast empire covering much of the world and on which the sun never sat. And right in the middle of that empire, a little slither of land called Israel. To her north, east, Britain. Uh, northwest, Britain. And to her east, Britain, as it occupied India in the East India Company. And the Union Jack was the national flag at that time of India itself. And right over the top of those nations was the land, the British Empire, stretching from one part of the world to the other that shadowed with a protection with its wings. Let's turn to Isaiah 18. The wings of protection were going to be for the fledgling Jewish nation, as scripture demanded that it should be. In verse 1, we read that it is beyond the rivers of Ethiopia, this land. A land which you could recognise as being beyond the rivers of Ethiopia. And the word Ethiopia is often rendered in other uh, other versions as the word Kush, and we'll see the significance of that briefly. It's a land in verse 2 that was trodden down. Remember what we read in Luke, that Christ said Jerusalem would be trodden down of the Gentiles, and Isaiah in chapter 51 confirms that as well. It was a nation, verse 2, that was going to be peeled, and if you peel something, if you peel an onion, for example, you gradually reduce its size. You gradually work away at destroying it, and there were nations who gradually worked away at destroying Israel. They were a nation who were terrible. That is, they induced fear. And anti-Semitism has, has thrived for centuries into our days, the fear of the Jews, as it was in the days of Joshua and in the time of Chronicles. It talks of a land that the rivers have spoiled. And Isaiah 8 verse 7 talks of the nations, conquering nations, being like a river. They overflew, as it were, the land of Israel. So the protection that's being spoken about in Isaiah 18 is the protection for the Jews in the land of Israel. So as we, as we said, the, the rivers of Ethiopia in verse 1 can be rendered as the rivers of Cush. Now there were two Cushes in the ancient world. There was an eastern Cush, the mountains of India, and there was a western Cush, you'll see on the map there, just underneath Egypt. And the British, when Brother Thomas wrote his booklet about the future destiny of Britain, the British were in both of those Cushes. So whether we want to think of it as the western or the eastern Tarshish is immaterial because they were both under the direct control of the British. In fact, on this map on the screen here, one of Johnson's maps, you'll see the land of Hindustan or British India. Make no mistake that in the days of the East India Company, in the time of the Raj, when the British ruled India, it was known as British India. It 
was regarded as British first. Incredible. And then to the west of Israel, there was Britain to be found in what was known as the Anglo-Egyptian Sudan. And right between the two of these Kush areas was the land of Israel. Britain truly was a land overshadowing with its wings of protection the land of Israel. And here's a picture of a Scottish regiment on the Sphinxes in Egypt showing that Britain had control. A political cartoon of the day showing the British lion downtreading the Egyptian crocodile and other nations jealously watching on as Britain took more than her fair share of that territory. Here is the Queen's mother inspecting Indian troops in British uniforms in India, known as the British Army. There's a Bengal Lancer with the Union Jack flying behind him in British military colours. A group of Indian soldiers here with their turbans, but carrying again the Union Jack, showing that they were fighting on behalf of the British. In the First World War, there were over 700,000 Indian troops who served against the Ottoman Empire. In the Second World War, Sir Claude Oshinleg, who was Commander-in-Chief of the Indian Army, said that Britain simply couldn't have won either of those wars had it not had the help that it did from the Indian Army. To such an extent that there were over two and a half million Indian troops at one time fighting on behalf of Britain in the Second World War. So what was the reason that the British were in the Western Kush? We know why they were in India. It was the East India Company. It was used as a, a trading post for commercial purposes. But why were they in the Anglo-Egyptian Sudan? Well, it was all to do with this stretch of water here that at one time didn't exist. It's called the Suez Canal and it connects the Red Sea to the Mediterranean Sea. And it cuts off several days and perhaps in ancient times, actually several weeks of travel for vessels as they would have previously had to have navigated around the, uh, the continent of Africa. So the Suez Canal was a really important trading benefit. It cut the journey times between Britain, the motherland, as it were, of the empire, and India, where much of its trade with the East was performed. So Britain had to place itself, you see, for its own commercial interests in and around the Western Kush. But there was a divine reason for it. And as we suggested earlier, Britain wasn't doing this because it thought it was fulfilling God's word. It was doing it to, to um, ensure its own interests and the furtherance of its empire. But you see, Britain gaining the control of the Suez Canal ultimately led to the British defending it against a major Ottoman attack. You see, it was the British who, who started to dry up the Euphratian power of the Ottoman Empire. And you see, the pushing back of the Turks into Turkey was what led to the Balfour Declaration. If the one hadn't happened, then the other couldn't follow. And then in 1939, in the Second World War, 
Britain again had to defend her interests in this territory. And three years after the Second World War, there was a UN resolution that there should be a homeland for the Jews. And Britain wasn't coming out of Europe as it is under Brexit. It was going in. And her global demise, the shrinking of her influence and empire in the world started when she aligned herself with Catholic Europe. But you see, up until that time, when the Jews went back to their land, it was the British who had an influence and who brought about the return of the Jews under their own protectorate. So what's all that got to do with Jerusalem and Brexit, we might ask? You see, British influence led to the protectorate in the territory of ancient Israel that at that time was known as Palestine, because it was the power that was going to overshadow with wings. It's going to give that protection as a mother hen, as the Lord Jesus Christ talks of, looks after its young. So the British would, by their influence, bring about God's will of re-establishing the Jews in the land. You see, in 1848, Brother Thomas predicted that it would happen. And it wasn't until 1948 that it happened. But just bear in mind that the prophecy he made wasn't 100 years old. It was made two and a half thousand years before. And that protectorate that Britain and India combined together, ultimately brought about the shadowing with wings, led to four following things. It led to the Zionist Congress in 1897. It led to the First World War, as we know it in the West, but is actually from the perspective of the Holy Land, is known as the Sinai and Palestine campaign. It led to the Second World War, or the end of Mandate Palestine, and it led to the Six-Day War. And he was the first Zionist Congress, the first of those four. Theodore Herzl began in 1897 the drive to restore the Jews to their own land, to find a homeland for the Jews, and he wanted it to be in their ancient land of Palestine. In Jeremiah 16, chapter, uh, chapter 16 and verse 16, we're told that God was going to send fishers. He would send fishers to fish for the people of Israel, for the Jews. So there was going to be a work that would send out, as it were, bait for them to return. And Theodore Herzl was instrumental in trying to engender in the Jews a desire to return back to their land. It was over 120 years ago, brothers and sisters and friends. In Genesis chapter 6 and verse 3, we're told that 120 years is the time that Noah preached for. And we're told that Christ would return in the days of Noah, or days like unto the days of Noah. 120 years, from 1897 to 2017. The next step was the Sinai and Palestine campaign, in which again, Britain was a key player. And what did that lead to? It led to the partitioning of the Ottoman Empire. It fulfilled scripture, the drying up of the Turkish power, the Euphratian power. That meant that the British won the mandates for Mesopotamia and Palestine. How essential was that part of history that it was to be the land that would overshadow with wings, having pushed out the enemy of the Turks. And of course, ultimately, the state of Israel was established again in 1948. 100 years have gone now since the Balfour Declaration. 
the Jews came out of Egypt in the fourth generation. 100 years is often used of a generation. So from 1917 to three years ago, we have had 100 years. And at this time of the Sinai and Palestine campaign, the fishers were still trying to entice the Jews to come home. The third development that was brought about as a result of the land shadowing with wings in Britain was what was called the end of mandate Palestine. As we said, the British were in control of Palestine, of Jerusalem. They'd been given that authority and power by the international agencies. And it was because the British were there that the Jews were able to come home. You see, World War II massively weakened the British Empire. And ultimately, the protectorate of Isaiah 18 would fade away. And the United Nations stepped in and, and said that they would divide the land into a Jewish and Arab state in 1948. And that was over 70 years ago. 70 years is used for the completion of a prophecy. Israel was in bondage for 70 years, and it's also the duration of a man's life. And now you see, because the people of Israel haven't taken the bait, they haven't been prepared to go back to the land, being caught on the fisherman's hook. Now, Jeremiah says, after that, I'll send hunters. They will hunt them from every mountain and from every hill and out of the holes of the rocks. And if you read anything of the history of the Second World War, the Nazis hunted the Jews out of the holes that they'd made under the floorboards in their own homes. This prophecy was eerily fulfilled. And from 1948 to 2018 has been a generation. And then the final step that resulted as Britain's work in freeing the land of Israel from the oppression of the Gentile nations was what was called the Six-Day War. And in the Six-Day War, as you'll see on the map on the right there, it was the mountains of Israel that were rescued from the hand of the oppressors. Why is that important? Well, if you've got Isaiah 18 open, remember what we read there. All the inhabitants of the world and dwellers on the earth see when he lifteth up an ensign on the mountains. And in just six days, in just six days, the Jews took control of the mountains of Israel. Fifty years in, in biblical time periods is a, is a jubilee period when all debts are set free and it's a time of great celebration. So from 1967 to three years ago was 50 years. So Brother Thomas was absolutely spot on, wasn't he, regarding the time of the end and the land shadowing with wings. Not because Brother Thomas made it up, but because it's what the Bible teaches. And the events that the word of God predicted nearly three millennia ago are still going to take 50 to 100 years to materialise after Brother Thomas wrote them down on paper when nobody else was even thinking about the Jews. And it came to pass, and we therefore can trust implicitly the word of God. So Brexit should not have been a surprise to any Christadelphian. Brother Thomas was consistent in revealing from the scriptures that Britain at the time of the end was not going to be part of Europe. He said in Elpis Israel, I've not named Britain. Existing theories require Britain to be counted in, but I have nothing to do with them. 
It's impossible, he said in the exposition of Daniel, for Britain to be a toe. That is one of the toes of the image. You see, in Ezekiel 38, which we won't turn to, we know that when that great confederacy from the north comes down upon the land of Israel, that in, 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 in terms of time has only recently been restored, when that nation comes down upon the land of Israel, somebody's going to resist them, and that somebody's Tarshish or Britain and her Commonwealth allies. They're going to ask, well, why are you coming down into the land of Israel? Daniel 11 speaks to us of the king of the north and the king of the south. And they're at work in the latter days. The one's work that we've considered, the pushing back of the Ottoman, pushing at the power in Constantinople, will be replaced when the confederacy from the north takes Constantinople and comes down into the land. You can't have a king of the north and the south at odds if the one, doesn't, the one or the other doesn't exist. And in the Apocalypse chapter 17, the ten toe kingdoms, we're told, are going to be of one mind. They're going to give their power to the beast. And in September 2017, the EU announced that it wanted to have a president, an army and closer political integration, all of which led to Brexit, because the British have said, we don't want to be ruled by Europe. So, brothers and sisters, young people, the showdown in Israel is coming, you see. What Brother Thomas goes on to say in, in his booklet is when this is accomplished, when these people have been brought back in part to the land, then let the inhabitants of the world and dwellers on the earth tremble, as it says there in Isaiah. When he lifteth up an ensign on the mountains, they were reestablished just 50 years ago. And when he bloweth the trumpet, they shall hear. The ensign being planted on the mountains of Israel, he says, by Britain, Yahweh will cause the Assyrian autocrat, the power from the north, the Gogian confederacy of Russia and its many nations to blow a trumpet, summoning the hosts of his nations to war. They will ascend and come like a storm. Then look what Brother Thomas says. Then shall the present be brought in full of all the tribes of Israel, not previously assembled by the land shadowing with wings. Ah, this is the point. Britain's work with the Jews has not yet been completely fulfilled. What was accomplished in the pushing back of the Ottoman power and the First and Second World Wars was the partial restoration of Israel, not its complete. So our question was, what does Jerusalem have to do with Brexit? Well, Britain is still yet further to help the Jews as it has already done so in part through the prophecy of Isaiah 18. Zephaniah talks of a time that from beyond the rivers of Ethiopia, we know that's referring to now, that's talking of Britain, my suppliants, and the word suppliants in the Hebrew has the idea of one who makes a plea to somebody in authority, even the daughter of my dispersed shall bring mine offering. Isaiah 60 tells us that the isles shall wait for me and the ships of Tarshish first to bring thy sons from far, their silver and their gold with them, unto the name of Yahweh thy God, unto the Holy One of Israel, because he hath glorified thee. You see, Boris Johnson has spoken quite at length in recent weeks and days, hasn't he, about Britain being able to prosper outside of the EU. And prophecy demands that Britain will again prosper. It will have great wealth that it will bring for the benefit of the restored Jews. 
Let's take a look at um, Psalm 72 and verse 10. In Psalm 72 and verse 10, we have this, this wonderful record of that which is to come in the days of the great king, even the Lord Jesus Christ. The kings of Tarshish and of the isle shall bring presents. The kings of Sheba and Seba shall offer gifts. Tarshish is going to bring her presents to fulfill the ancient mantle of what Tyre did in ancient times. Just turn back a few Psalms to Psalm 45 and verse six this is a, a messianic psalm thy throne O god is forever and ever the scepter of thy kingdom is a right scepter so shall the king verse 11 greatly desire thy beauty for he is thy lord and worship thou him and the daughter of tyre shall be there with a gift even the rich among the people shall entreat thy favor that psalm is clearly talking of a future work and of the future glory of Zion. Zion is going to be exalted. She's no longer going to be that hot potato that nobody knows what to do with. She's going to be a peace and her praise, because in her peace rests the peace of the whole world. Who is this daughter of Tyre that's mentioned in verse 12? The word daughter, of course, would infer a female, wouldn't it? Here's an interesting story about Queen Victoria. When she was ill, uh, her canon, who later became a dean, was her chaplain. When he visited her, she said to him, Chaplain, what do you think about the return of Christ? We don't actually know what was said in terms of his answer to her, but what we do know was that when he left, he asked, your Majesty, why have you asked me that? Oh, she said, I wish that he returns while I'm still alive, because nothing would give me more joy than to pass on the crown of Great Britain and India to him with my own hands. A daughter of Tarshish, who was prepared to relinquish her throne, and a daughter of Tarshish, who is still alive, this book, published on her 90th birthday, records the servant queen and the king she serves. Who can say whether Queen Elizabeth II will be preserved, if it is God's will, in order that she will present her crown at the feet of Christ? Or will it perhaps be another female who may come along at some point? We don't know with certainty. But what we do know is that it's the intent, the cor coronation oath of our queen was that she would lay down her crown feet of Jesus Christ gives us something to think about perhaps as to who this daughter of Tyre might well be and we've mentioned haven't we four significant epochs of time 120 years 100 years 70 years and 50 years and this was a speech or part of a speech that was given by Benjamin Netanyahu the Prime Minister of Israel at the United Nations General Assembly and in those four epochs of time. Look what he says at the bottom of that second paragraph. We reunited our eternal capital, Jerusalem, achieving a miraculous victory against those who sought to destroy our state. It was a miraculous victory, he says. And in the last paragraph, it's a time of reflection. We look back with wonder at the miraculous 
rebirth of our nation against all odds brothers and sisters interested friends and young people against all odds the jews have returned to their land despite everyone hating them despite everyone betting against them if you want to put it that way it was not possible that they could achieve it and they did it was miraculous because it was the hand of god working through the nation of britain as well as other nations to bring about his will and his purpose if you want to have a look at it on youtube um, the current vice president mike pence gives an incredible speech in which he details the hand of god at work amongst the nations bringing israel back to their land it's really makes the hairs on your neck stand up when you listen to what he says quoting scripture and with absolute confidence saying that this was the hand of god we know that the american nation has decided to remove its embassy and this was um this was one of the sites that was presented it does look a little bit like cradley heath to be honest with you where i i live near but it's not um th this was one of the sites that was presented as being a possible location for the u.s embassy and of all places of all places it's known as the allenby barracks and it was general allenby who started the push of the ottoman power out of the holy land how incredible would that be if the u.s embassy is built in that place Well, my dear brothers and sisters, interested friends and, and young people, it's our privilege, really, to live in this Protestant land of Britain. To be part of a nation whose destiny was revealed in advance, as hopefully we've seen some of this evening, by Almighty God, and preserved that it might fulfil his will. The Spanish Armada didn't see us off. Napoleon didn't finish us off. The First and the Second World Wars didn't finish us off, and the EU no longer has control over us. We're exiting the clutches of the beast system of Rome, 500 years on from the time of the English Reformation. We're able to have this lecture this evening without anyone knocking on our doors and threatening to take us away or put us on the rack for our beliefs. We take it for granted so often, brothers and sisters, young people, interested friends, but people died, they died so that we could read this word of God and understand it. What a privilege that is. And all we'd ask you to do, for those of you who are not baptised, for those of you who are perhaps considering, well, is it the truth? Is think about what we've looked at this evening. React to it. Listen to the call of the gospel. Because there's going to come a time when all nations, including Great Britain, is going to become humbled and abased. And the nation of Israel is going to be the first dominion with Jerusalem as its capital. It's going to become exalted and Yahweh's glory is going to fill the whole earth. You see, what we have to ask ourselves is, is did the prophecy of Isaiah come true? Did Britain and its, its colony powers of, of India and others aid the return of the Jews at the time of the end? Well, yes, it did. So ask yourself, if that part has happened, why would the second part not happen? Why would it be that God won't finish his work and bring Zion to be exalted in the, amongst the nations? It is going to happen. And Brexit is the sign for this generation. I know there are some online who remember the great sign of their generation, which was the, uh, the freedom of Jerusalem from the hand of the Gentiles. And what a wonderful thing that was back for that generation. But for us in our generation, Brexit is shouting out to us in clarion terms that God is at work amongst the nations and Britain's work is yet to be completely fulfilled 
when Jerusalem is exalted and appraised in the earth. We pray for that time to come. And we hope that together this evening, we have seen a little of the fact that Jerusalem does indeed have a lot to do with Britain.